Amen. How you guys doing? Wow. You guys feel good? You feel, if you feel good, say, I feel good. Tell your neighbor right now. Tell him how you feel. Tell him I feel good. Even if you don't feel that way, I'm giving you permission to, to tell them that you feel good. Yeah, we've, we've been, uh, we've been making changes in our service. And so usually whenever I preach, you know, like there's, there's congregational prayer and then there's like the scripture reading. And so like, if I'm preaching, I usually like take that time and I'm just, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. And then then afterwards, okay, I'm good. I'm good. But it's just prayer now. So I had to walk right up here. I was like, Lord, help me. This is real quick. Uh, But yeah, today I I just want to talk to you about sonship. You want to hear about sonship? Say amen. Amen. You know, uh, there's just been a lot of different messages that have been going out about sonship. Even uh, this last week, Pastor Sam Song, he was here from Solomon's Porch, right? And he delivered an awesome message and he was talking to us about sonship. And today I want to talk to you specifically about what sonship is not. Everyone say what sonship is not. not. You know, so many times we know what something is by looking at what it's not. You know what I'm saying? Like when we look at darkness, we know what darkness is because it's the absence of light. When we're standing in a dark room, we know we're not in light. I hope you guys feel that way. You know, we can define so many different things, not just by what they are, but what they're not. And today I want to talk to you about what sonship is is not before i get into the word i just want to say a quick prayer so let's all bow our heads father i thank you lord i thank you for today god and lord i thank you father that that each and every person in this house god you desire to bring into a place of sonship lord whether they're a guest god or whether lord you're calling them here to this house every single person in this room lord you are calling into sonship in the house of god And Lord, I pray that today as I preach your word, God, that father, that as your word goes out, it would be spirit and life, God, that Lord, it wouldn't just be taught today, but it would be caught in each one of our spirits, God. So, Father, I just pray right now for the opening of minds, the opening of hearts, even the the opening, God, of our wills to change today, God. That, Lord, that when we leave this place, Father, we would not leave it looking at ourselves, looking at the world, looking at you the same way, God, in which we came. God, I pray right now, Lord, and I bind every work of the devil. I bind every lie of the thief who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, God. And I pray for life and life abundant. God, I pray, Lord, that as I preach your word, Lord, that, God, it would just be, it would just flow, Lord, and be pleasing unto you, God. Yeah, Lord, we thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the human being is made up of three parts. You know, well, we know like, you know, we have like how many bones? Is it like 200 or something like that? I don't, I don't know. I didn't study too well in biology class. I, I didn't really listen too much. That's not my forte. But, you know, the, we say the body has many parts, but really the human being is made up of three parts, right? The body, the soul, and the what? The spirit. Some of you guys, you got the spirit, right? You got the spirit, right? The body, soul, and the what? Yeah, so the human being is made of three parts, the body, soul, and the spirit. The body we understand to be not just our physical body, but also we can think we see it in the Bible as referred to as our flesh. It's like these inclinations that come from our natural body, these natural longings, desires, and things that come simply from our flesh. Then we have our soul, right? Our soul is defined as our mind, our will, and our emotions. 
right? So each one of us, we all have a mind, right? We all have an intellect, correct? Okay, this group right here has an intellect. We all got an intellect, right? You all went to school, correct? We all have a mind. Okay, there's the word of the Lord for you guys today. You have a mind. You have an intellect. We also have a will, right? We have a will. We have a will that we initiate every single day of the week. And then we also have emotions. Some of us are a bit more emotional than others. But we all, we have a mind, a will, and emotions. And then also, and then we have the spirit, right? And we also, and for, for us that are Christians, that are believers, our spirit is brought to life when we come to the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. The Holy Spirit comes upon us and it, it brings life. The spirit, Jesus said, gives life. Amen? Right. So the spirit gives life. But I want to focus on the soul. Right. We know about the soul. Pastor Aaron, she preached an amazing message about shifting into the spirit. You guys remember that message? And she talked about she talked about how our souls talking about our mind, our will and emotions so many times cannot be in line with the spirit. So many times our mind, our will and our emotions cannot be in line with what God's saying in, in the spirit. When we read his word, when we hear the Holy Spirit, what the, what God is saying to us. So many times we're living in our soul. We're living in our own mind, our own will and our emotions. And it's hard for us to, we need to shift, right? She even gave us a hand motion. We need to shift. Everyone shift right now. Shift into the spirit. Some of you guys, you newcomers are like, this is weird. He got us doing hand motions and stuff. I'm not even used to moving at church. Some of you guys going to get that. You know, so we got our we got our mind, our will and emotions. And for many of us, it's lined up in that way. You know, we think a thing or we have a belief or a value system in our mind that is set up in a certain way. And then we act from those beliefs. And then because we act in those beliefs, our emotions many of the times is the last thing to come around. You know, when we talk about like in my in my small group discipleship, I remember I was I was discipling a couple brothers and. And in the beginning, when I first started meeting up with them, I mean, I love those brothers to death, but they were like, they were knuckleheads. Like we sit down and I'm like, you guys, you really need to read your Bible. And it, why do I got to read my Bible? I'm like, what do you mean? Why you got to read your Bible? He's like, I don't even know if I really need to even read it. I'm like, you know, I don't even know if I believe in this Jesus thing. Wait a second. Wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. You signed up for a small group. Now we're doing salvation prayers. Like what's happening right now? Like, I just was like. Whoa, what's going on? And so their mind was set up in a certain way in which over time I had to like, I was like, listen, guys, I know you don't understand it, but your Bible is good for you. And they're like, just read your Bible. And all right, okay. And then they, they just, they shifted in their mind and then they began to shift their will into reading their Bible. Right. And it was something simple. I told them, okay, how about you just read your Bible systematically? Okay, so and for those of you guys who don't do that, you need to start doing it, meaning you read it in a system systematically. Right. And I was like, read one chapter in the Old Testament, read one chapter in the new and just go in order. This is meaningless. This ain't going to do anything. They were telling me this in in small group. and I'm looking at them like, what's what's going on? Like, you know, and we're totally cool outside of small group. And then we get in a small group. They're like, I hate you. And I'm like, what's going on? And then they go home and they're like, all right, we'll try it for one day. I was like, dang, it's like, it's just reading your Bible, dog. You don't even have to be like that. All right, we'll do it for one day. All right. They go home. 
They read, they read their Bible, right? One chapter in the old, one chapter in the new. They come back to small group next week. And one of them, he's so funny. He was like, I don't know what, what happened, but I read, I read one chapter in the old and one chapter in the new. And it all made sense. I loved it. And I was like, he's like, what magical formula did you give me? I was like, it's not magic. Who is just a system? His emotions begin to catch up with his mind and his will. And for each each and every one of us, the way that God has wired us is that our minds and our will and our emotions is is something that we need to shift into the spirit if we're going to live by it. Right. We see this in, in the book of Romans, chapter 12. Right. We see that our mind, our mind is so important because our mind has so much to do with our will. If we change the way that we think, then we change the way that we act. And if we change the way we act, many times we'll change the way that we feel. It says in Romans 12, right? It says, therefore, be transformed. Everyone say transformed. Transformed. We all want to be transformed. Amen. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Therefore, any transformation that you and I experience as believers first must happen with our minds being renewed. You know, if you walk into the house of God and you don't leave thinking differently, you've not been changed. Did you know that? Did you know that you can come into the house of God? Somebody pray for you. Somebody even prophesy. You have this huge experience. But when you leave, if you did not believe something different about God, then when you came in, you have not been changed. Because transformation happens in the renewal of our minds. Everyone say transform. And then he says, he says what? He says, then you will be able to do what? Test. Everyone say test. Test and approve God's good, pleasing and perfect will for your life. That word that that Paul uses in Romans when he talks about being tested, he's talking about he's talking about testing the will of God. He's talking about your will. He's talking about trying it out that when your mind is changed and you're transformed, then you'll be able to test and take steps of faith. And then he says, and approve God's good, pleasing and perfect will for your life. And when he says approve, he means to be pleased with. How many of you guys are pleased with God's will for your life right now? How many of you guys are pleased with where you're at in your walk? How many of you guys feel God's good, pleasing and perfect will for your life right now? It comes from when our mind, our will and emotions are changed. You know, in this house, we've been talking a lot about sonship. And when Paul says, you know what, he says that you'll be able to test and approve God's good, pleasing and perfect will. You want me to tell you where you you're able to do that, where you're able to experience God's good, pleasing and perfect will for your life. In sonship. In sonship. When you read the Bible, you know, God is a God of family. Everything that every blessing, everything that we receive in the Bible comes in the context of family. If you read, even starting from Genesis on, it all comes in the context of family. It all comes in the context of sonship. It says, I believe in first Peter that we bless that we might inherit a blessing. And that's because God, he puts everything in the pattern of sonship so that we might have an inheritance. You guys understanding what I'm saying right now? Say amen. Amen. 
See, God orchestrates everything in terms of his good, pleasing and perfect will for your life in order to come from the place of sonship. But so many of us, we we don't really understand sonship. Heck, I'm still understanding sonship. You know, each and every day when I when I have a new revelation of sonship or a new revelation of what it means to be a son of God, to be a child of God. I have to repent. (laughs) I have to repent. I have to turn and I have to like come to a new understanding because there's just so many depths to being a son. But so many of us, it's such a struggle to understand what it means to be a child of God. Amen. And there's a reason for that. And it's in Romans 12. Everyone turn to Romans 12 right now. You know, my story, my story is a a very interesting one. I don't know if many of you guys know it, but I ended up coming to Korea in in August in not in August. I got saved in August of 2006 and I came in in February of 2007. And I came in February of 2007 because I was dating a Korean American girl from North Carolina where I'm from. And I was like, you know, when we were dating and we started this long distance relationship. She came to Korea and I was like, man, she's the one. She's the Neo. You know, she's the you, you, you never heard that before. She's the Neo. She's the prototype. You ain't never heard that before. Oh, snap. That's my that's that's me and my homie slang. I was like, man, she's the one. You know, she's the one like that Jet Li movie. You seen that Jet Li movie? The one. Oh, OK. You guys ain't proud to say it. I watched Jet Li. So what? You seen Hero? Hero's a good movie. You didn't watch that. Yeah, here. There we go. That's one man is proud. No shame. No condemnation. Yeah, I was like, man, she's the one. Right? She's Neo. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to fly to Korea because I love her. <laughs> and, yo, and so, and, and all in this time when we were, we were, we were apart, um, when in the first part of our relationship, she would talk to me online and she was like, she would always tell me about this dude that she would meet up with. And she's like, you know, cause she's like, Oh, I came, I came and I'm here at Yonsei. Like, and it's just so amazing. I'm like, Oh word. Like I just recently become a Christian. So this is all exciting to me. I'm like, okay. All right, cool. You know? And then she's like, yeah, and I have these, I, I have this fellowship. Like I, I have these Bible studies on like every Thursday. And I was like, Oh, oh, really? You have Bible studies? Yeah. I meet up with this guy and he just, we go through the book of John together. It's just so amazing. And I'm like, what you mean, what you mean you go through the book of John together? She's like, it's so powerful too. Like he prays for me and it's like, oh, it's so powerful. I'm like, what's his name? I get on Facebook, Christian Lee. Like, who is this Christian Lee guy? I'm going to add him. I'm going to send him a message. <laughs> and then I come to Korea, right? Because, you know, I was still, I was still determined. She's the one. And I come to Korea. And I remember I come and I meet up. I meet with Pastor Christian. I meet with, with Pastor Christian. He was not a pastor at that time. He was doing campus ministry with Korea Campus Crusade. And I remember that we, we, we sat down and I was like, you know, I heard he was doing a men's small group and I was like, I want to be in your small group. 
And he's like, he's like, all right, well, let me hear your story first. So we sit down and uh, we sit down and I, I share my story. We chop it up for a bit. And he's like, all right, I'll meet with you one on one. And so we meet up and we and over the course of the next six months, we we meet up every week and we do discipleship. And it was me learning sonship. But it wasn't like like you think of it. You're like, wow, that sounds awesome. You met with Pastor Christian one on one. That's so great. Y'all just sat there together, prayed together, getting the word got deep. It's so awesome. Mm. <laughs> it was nothing like that. You know what it was? It was every week me coming in. I'm sorry. I got to repent. Every week and every single time we would meet, it was, there was things that were being beaten out of me. <laughs> not physically. <laughs> not physically. Not physically. Hey, yo, John, don't know. I mean, it says the lampstand is made of beaten gold in the Bible, so... I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But anyways, we would meet up. And I realize now, looking back, that that's when I was learning sonship. I never had the language for it. But it was so difficult for me to understand what was happening. It was so difficult for me to understand sonship. It was so difficult for me to understand submission. So a lot of times I didn't submit. You know, every single time we'd meet up, he was telling me the same things over and over again, having to beat the same things in me over and over again. And it was so difficult and I could not understand. I'm still working on it now because I could not understand what was really happening in me during that time. And even in lately, you know, this sermon is actually coming from like four months of his journey that God's put me on on sonship because I could not understand what was really happening and why there was so much resistance. And for so many of us, when we hear sonship, we hear submission, we hear order. We hear that God is going to make us into sons. He's going to work sonship into us. He's going to work not just obedience, but he's going to work in us his good pleasure. There's so much resistance. There's so much that within us that fights it. You know what I'm saying? When we were at the encounter retreat and Pastor Benjamin was preaching, he preached every message he preached was about sonship. And I was up in the back room and I was up up top overlooking everyone as they were receiving the messages. And as I was hearing these messages, there was such a warfare that was happening inside of my body that my body actually began to lock up. Like I was like this. <laughs> and everyone's like, what's wrong with your neck? And I'm like, no, I'm fine. Ain't nothing. Ain't nothing wrong with me. I'm, I'm, I'm good. You know. And maybe you don't have a physical manifestation of it, but. We all have that on the inside. When Pastor Sam Song is preaching on sonship and talking about what it means to be a son, what it means to lay down your life for the sake of someone else. Lay down your vision for someone else's vision. That sounds like foolishness to us, doesn't it? And I'm going to tell you why. Romans 12, chapter 2. Not Romans 12, verse 2. It says... Do not be conformed to this world. In other translations, it says, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. You know, the reason why sonship in coming to this understanding that God not only wants to he wants to put order in our lives, but he also wants to provide for us. He also wants to prosper us. All of us, many of us struggle in different areas. 
It's because our mindset is a worldly mindset, not a kingdom one. Our mindset is of the patterns of this world and not of the patterns of God. And we bring that worldly mindset into the house of God. And instead of us being no longer being conformed to the patterns of this world, we conform the house of God to the patterns of this world. I want you to turn to first John chapter two. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture, and I had it memorized for the longest time that without understanding. But it was only in the past couple of weeks that the Lord was giving me understanding. 15 to 17. It says, I'm going to read it. It says, and it'll be up on the screen. Um, it says, do not love the world. Or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride and possessions is not from the father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. I like the NIV translation. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lusts of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God will live forever. You know, the first part of that, I was reading that. Well, actually, I wasn't I wasn't reading that. What? This is what happened. I was struggling. I was struggling. I was feeling alone. I was feeling rejected. And I remember I was just in my quiet time. I was just alone with the Lord. And I was like, what's going on? Like, why do I keep struggling in this way? Why do I keep feeling this frustration inside of me? And as soon as I asked that question, I heard the Lord say, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. And I just heard the spirit of the Lord say to me, Marcus, because the love of the father is not established in you. You naturally love the world. Pastor Sam Song said something very interesting last week when he was preaching. He said the answer to the spirit of this age is sonship. The answer to everything that you see happening outside and out and around you, even inside of you. The answer is sonship. You know, I was trying to figure out, I was like, Lord, why? When I walk around, when I listen to music, when I watch movies, when I go, when I walk through the streets, when I sin, what's causing me to sin? You know, when you look at sin, so many times we look at the symptom and we try to treat the symptom, right? You're looking at pornography. We say, don't look at pornography. Which is true. Don't look at pornography. <laughs> but we don't address the fact that below it, it's not just a sin condition. There's a heart condition. There's a deception. It says that the serpent deceived Eve. 
So she ate. And there's a deception. And at the base of that deception is a lie because all deception is living a lie as if it were true. And that lie and the lie that the, that we as Christians, so many of us believe and that keeps us from sonship is the lie of fatherlessness. It's the lie that says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are really a child of God, you know, what's worldliness? What's this mindset that's according to the patterns of this world? He lays it out for us right here. He says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the cravings of sinful man. Cravings that come from our flesh, that come from our heart, these desires to be provided for. So many of us, we all have desires to be provided for, right? We have desires to be affirmed, desires to be cherished and loved. He says the lust of his eyes. You know, I was I was meditating on the lust of the eyes and I was like, where where does this come from? Even at joint prayer meeting, when Pastor Aaron was was doing a part, doing an altar call, and she was asking people to stand if there is, if there was any promise or any word that God has given you, but there's a frustration because you haven't seen it to pa- come to pass. And at that moment, so many promises of God's provision in my life came up that I've not seen come to pass, and I realized there was so much unbelief there, and because there was unbelief, because there was this place where I felt like God would never provide for me. A place where I was fatherless. I would seek for it in the world. And the boasting of what, you know, it's actually the lust of our eyes. I'm reminded of even when I was a little kid growing up in North Carolina. We weren't, we weren't rich in the area of North Carolina we, we grew up in. And I remember like on the weekends, like we get totally like, we'd be so excited because we go to the mall. Like, I don't know, in North Carolina, like where I grew up, there was like one mall and like it was like one mall for like a hundred mile radius. Like there's only one mall. Okay, you know, I'm like real country in that regard. We got more than one stoplight. (laughs) But I remember like the weekends would come and we'd be like, oh, we're going to go to the mall. We're going to go to or Walmart. Walmart's like the place to be in the South. Don't judge Southern people, but I'm just telling you the truth. We used to go to like Walmart, be riding around in the parking lot. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, the world. Wow. (laughs) And I remember as a little kid, we used to get so we used to get dressed up from the head to toe. We would just be just uh, dressed up just in our best little outfit. Throw on our like one pair of Nikes, just bam. And then we go to the mall. No money in our pockets. And we just walk through. Oh, I really like that. That what is that? The Super Nintendo. I was like, oh, I really, really like that. We window shop. So many of us do a lot of window shopping, right? We window shop for things. We window shop for people. We window shop everywhere we go, and it's ultimately because there's a lie of fatherlessness. We don't believe that God would provide for us. All our needs according to his riches and glory. Or the boasting of what we have and do. 
boasting <laughs> of what we have and do. Because we don't feel like that the Father's proud of us, so we have to be proud of ourselves. You know, God's been having me study. He's been having me like, it's so random. He's been telling me like, I've, I've been praying and just been, and everywhere, I, I've been watching all kinds of go- documentaries about gangs. I mean, I don't look like I'm someone you'd see to think you'd be interested in a gang. I'm, I mean, I'm not interested in a gang, but, you know, I just was watching like, I've seen like maybe 13, 14 documentaries on gangs in like the past month. I need to find something better to do with my free time. <laughs> y'all, if y'all want to get some food, holler at me. You know, and I was watching these, I was watching every single documentary I was watching about gangs. And as I was watching them, I got this revelation. And I was realizing that at the base of every gang, at the base level of every single gang member is one particular lie, one particular condition. And it permeates the church and it's fatherlessness. You know, most people, when they get into gangs, they get into gangs either because their parents, they felt like were too strict, too hard, beat them and abused them. Or their parents were absent. Maybe their father was never there. And so what happens is that these young people, they, they don't have a father or they rebel against their father. So the only people they can cling to are the people around them, other orphans. And they have a spirit of brotherhood. You know, you look at gangs, they're tight. They'll die for one another. But there's no father. If anything, they father themselves. And, you know, one of the reasons why so many of us, we don't we don't accept sonship. We don't accept bringing ourselves under a man or woman of God to speak into our lives, to shepherd us, to disciple us, to father us is because we cling for the spirit of brotherhood before the spirit of sonship. And when you cling for the spirit of brotherhood before sonship, it will always result in anarchy and rebellion. You look in the story of Noah. You know, we quote the story all the time where Noah was drunk. He was drunk. He was laid out on the floor naked. And his brother and, and Ham comes in, right? His son Ham comes in and he sees him laying there naked. And he turns around and the first thing he does is he goes to his brothers. And so many of us in, in the church today, because there's an area of fatherlessness in us, we turn to the brothers and sisters around us to father us, to shepherd us. And not to the man and woman of God who God has placed over us. Pastor speaking to my life. My small group leader speaking to my life. I don't need that. I'll meet up with my small group members on the side and we'll talk about our issues together. And then when we come into small group, we won't submit to one thing you have to say. That's fatherlessness, beloved. That's not sonship. The other thing that he had me studying was. Was music. In high school. Well, he's just been having me study music. And if you know anything about. 
our culture today. If you look at, at America, you look at any, anywhere we're at right now, like any country, you look at Korea as well. Young people are killing themselves at large numbers. Young people are leaving the church in large numbers. But they're still turning to other things to father them. They're turning to music. They're turning to movies. Many of us can quote movies better than we can quote our own Bibles. Many of us can quote the last song we listened to better than we can quote the man or woman of God who's spoken into our lives. You know, we had a dance party for, for, for Pastor J.M. and Sky's wedding reception. And, and I was up in there and I was, you know, I was dancing. I can dance a little bit, you know, it's not chogum. You know, I can get down. And we were, everyone's all dancing and stuff. And a lot of these songs were new songs, but somehow I knew all the words. It was so weird. I was up in there like, wait a second. How do I know these words? And then, and then someone's like, well, tell me about this Bible verse. And I was like, crickets. You know, I'm not knocking music or anything like that. But I'm, what I am trying to say is that if you look at the culture and you look at, at what I'm really pointing to is a lack of sonship. What I'm really pointing to is the fact that so many of us try to father ourselves instead of allowing God to father us. What I'm looking to is the fact that so many of us, when we were young, maybe had parents that were strict disciplinarians. Or maybe our fathers weren't there at all. You know, I was actually studying hip-hop music. I love hip-hop music. And I'm not one to bash on hip-hop music. Because I made hip-hop music in the past. I'm not one to bash on the music, but when I looked at why, how it came to pass, you know how it was created was that over time, young people were going out in the streets because their fathers were absent. Because these epidemics, the drug epidemics begin to hit the streets. And these, these young people had nothing better to do but to spend time with one another. And when they were spending time with one another on the streets, there was this creative force that began to happen, right? And that's what we see, right? Not all, not all gangs start off bad. But there was this creative force that started to happen when they were all together on the streets, beatboxing, rapping, freestyling, doing all kinds of things, dancing. But over time, because they tried to father themselves in the streets, what happened was when the streets became corrupt, they became corrupt. When the world began to go deeper and deeper and deeper into darkness, so did they. And so now when we listen to music and when we, we watch movies, all these things that give us these different sensations, they father us. But the man and woman of God do not. I guess I just want to challenge you today. Because the different lies that we are hit with in the world. The different lies that we're hit with every day that God won't provide for us, that God won't protect us, that God doesn't love us. Those are things that can only be solved through sonship. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let's try and go positive. <laughs> you know, Jesus lived from the pleasure of the father. 
towards the pleasure of the father, but never for the pleasure of the father. And what I'm saying by that is that Jesus lived planted and established in the father's love. Before Jesus did one thing, before Jesus said one sermon, before Jesus healed any person, God rendered the heavens and he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then everything that Jesus did from that particular point on was from the revelation that God loved him. Everything that Jesus did from that point on was from the revelation that no matter what Jesus did, God still loved him. And that's where sonship starts. That God loves you no matter what you do. But you can never stay in that place. You know, if you stay in that place that the father loves you no matter what you do. And you're like, well, I can do anything I want to do. No matter what. Because God loves me. Then you never mature. And it's like the, like the you know, 47-year-old person who stays at home and plays Xbox. Because he knows that mom still loves him. Therefore, he doesn't ever have to grow up. But Jesus, Jesus lived from the pleasure of the father. He knew that his father loved him. He knew that God loved him. But then everything he did from that point was to please the father. Not because he needed to please God, but because he wanted to please God. It says that it pleased the father to bruise Jesus, that it pleased God for Jesus to give himself up to the cross. Jesus never walked around with this angst inside his soul saying, you know what? I got to do better at this. I got to do better at that. I got to do better at this. Cause if not, the father's going to reject me because you know, whenever you live from that point where the fatherlessness is there and you're never, it, you're never established in the father's love and you're never living towards his pleasure. Every time you enter into his house, it'll never be to give your life away. It'll always be to receive. But sonship is about arriving to a point where you not only receive from the father, but you add on to the father's house. The world system is all about consumption. Take, 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 take. I read this, this uh, study um, by this professor at, uh, Notre Dame, at Notre Dame, University of Notre Dame. And he went around America and he, he interviewed young people from every walk of life. And he said that the thing that struck them the most, struck them the most was two things. One That the Christians were unbelievably inarticulate about what they believed. That if you asked them a question about what do you believe about God, none of them could give you a right answer. They would say, well, I believe that God's up in the sky. And, you know, if you follow the Ten Commandments or the people who do good will go to heaven and the people who kind of do bad will go to hell. He said they were unbelievably inarticulate. And you know the reason for that? It's consumption. Because if it's all about what I get from God, and it's all about what God can give to me, I don't really have to worry too much about the person next to me. 
I don't really have to worry too much about exemplifying God to the person next to me because really it's all about what I get. And he said the second thing that struck him was that that almost all the Christians, almost all the people that he talked to, regardless of their religious walk, actually, would be best characterized of having a faith called, I believe, as morally therapeutic deism. He said that they were deists. You know what deists are? Deists are people who believe that God's up in the air. He created everything and then he left. And now he's just watching us. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's, oh, that's not so good. Oh, that's good. And that he only comes to us when we need him. He only cares. We, our relationship with him is based upon when we come. Not upon when he comes. And at the base of that, fatherlessness. Because a father teaches you that a good son, a good son, not only just is established in the, pl- the pleasure of the father, but he lives to please the father. And not only that, but he lives in inheritance. All his needs are provided for. Everything that he has comes from the father and he can give it away freely to his children. What I want for us to do right now is I want us to go into a time of prayer. I know that as I as I was preaching that this is a hard message to take. that's because the truth of the matter is is that for many of us our Christian walk looks more like the world than it does like Jesus it looks less like sonship and more like being an orphan and I feel like there's many of you that have been living under so much frustration, so much confusion even. And when every, every time you experience a, a trial, every time you experience a struggle, it's so easy for you to fall into despair because you feel like no one's going to be there to help you. And therefore you don't live in God's, you don't feel like God's ever there to help you God's not ever there in your life he's not near or whenever you hit a bump in the road everything you're doing is out of your own power out of your own strength because ultimately you don't think that God's really there ever either and that your life is what you make it But I want to tell you, both of those things are lies. And that lie can only be addressed through sonship. 
when two of the disciples approached Jesus right before Jesus was going to be crucified they walked up to Jesus and they said Lord do for us what we want you to do and for so many of us that's that's our approach when we step into the house of God Lord do for me what I want you to do and he said well what do you want for me to do for you and he said they said put one of us on your left and the other on your right and he said hold up hold up hold up you have totally misunderstood this you misunderstood the game completely because he said the son of man came to serve not to be served he came to give his life away and the only way you can give your life away is if you understand that your life is not your own the only way you can you can step into that place is if you understand that God is your provider God is your protector. God is your shield. God is the horn of your salvation. God is the one who has your destiny in his hands. That's the only way you can really lay yourself down. Isaac had complete trust in Abraham when Abraham laid him on the altar because he knew that the father had his best interests in mind. But I feel like there's some of you who, who maybe you feel like those those lies have been just so thick in your life about God's protection, his provision in your identity. And if that's you, I just want you to stand to your feet.